your Bibles and turn with me to John 14. John 14, and we're going to continue where we were the last couple weeks on letting not, not your heart be troubled. And there's a lot of troubled hearts. Uh, I, someone may think or ask, Pastor, why in the world would you spend three weeks on the same on the same series, the same subject? Well, because we have troubled hearts. Everywhere you turn, everywhere you look, it seems like there's trouble on every hand. Jesus, of course, is addressing some of the troubling questions, the troubling hearts that, uh, that we have already uh, preached about in prior messages. Uh, started really in chapter 13 when Peter, Simon Peter, in verse, about verse number 36, he said unto the Lord, Lord, whether thou goest, or where are you going, Lord? Uh, you talk about leaving, so where are you going? Can we go where you are? Their master, their rabbi, their teacher, their uh, everything they've ever known for three and a half years, these men have been around Jesus, and now their master is leaving them. Where are you going, Jesus? Why are you leaving us? I told you last week, I don't like to be alone. Or the week before, I can't remember, but I, I'm, I'm not one that, uh, uh, especially as a child, I, I didn't want to be left alone uh, I don't know any kid that likes being alone in a store by themselves. They want to know where mama's at. They want to know where daddy's at. They want to know where grandma's at. And I was that child. I always wanted to know where they were. I was that child that when mama put me to bed about 2 o'clock in the morning, I got up out of my bed and went into mom and dad's bed and slept in between them till the age of 21. No, and... Uh, uh, but you know what I mean. Uh, some of you, uh, you got kids, you know they'll, they'll come into your bed in the middle of the night and, and they make that habit, but there's something about that. They want to be near mom and dad. They want to know why. There's a reassurance. What did these disciples want? These disciples wanted a reassurance. Where are you going, Lord? Lord, if you're going somewhere, can we go where you're at? And then, of course, Thomas, he asked a question. In verse number 5 of chapter 14, he said, uh, Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest. We don't know where you're going, Lord. And how can we know the way? Where's the map that's telling us where you're going? And Jesus said to him, I am the way. You know what Jesus is saying? I am the map. I am the way, the only way, the, the only truth, and the only life, and no man cometh unto the Father but by me. Thomas, where I'm going, the only way there is through me. Another question that uh, these troubled hearts, Thomas doubted. He, had, he needed reassurance. Peter, he doubted, I'm sure. He needed some reassurance. But then there's another disciple by the name of Philip. Philip speaks up. Now, you can imagine this is a question and answer session with the, with, the, with the master in the upper room. Philip says in verse number 8, and this is one of the greatest verses, 8, 9, 10. This is one of the greatest verses about the deity of Christ. But Philip saith unto him, Lord, show us the Father. Because Jesus just said in prior verses, I'm going to the Father's house. I'm, I'm going to prepare or make a mansion. I'm going to prepare a, a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. And he's like, where is this Father's house? In my Father's house. So Philip says... Lord, show us the Father, and it sufficeth us, or it satisfies us. It is enough, Lord. It would be enough for us just to see the Father. 
It would be enough for us to know who your father is. It would be enough to know where you're going. And, and Jesus said, well, I am going. And where I'm going, you, you can be there too. But I am the way. And the disciples are like, well, well, then show us this father. And Jesus said to Philip, very gently, Jesus said to him, verse 9, I have I been so long time with you, and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me hath seen the Father, and how sayest thou then, show us the Father? Boy, that's a great verse. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Verse 10, believest thou not that I am in the Father, and the Father in me, the words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me. He doeth the works. Oh, great verses. Don't, don't let your heart be troubled. I'm going away, but, but if, you've, if, if you have seen me, guess what? You've seen the Father. Now, that should have been some assurance. Hey, that should have been. Now, these disciples are still not understanding exactly everything that Jesus is talking about. They still don't understand the death on the cross. They still certainly don't understand the resurrection. But when Jesus is talking about the Father's house and talking about uh, these things, he, he's explaining to them that we can have assurance in the fact that Jesus is God's son, that he is the father as well. These are, these are uh, statements of assurance. I read this this past week. During the average lifetime, that is 75 years, 75 years is the average age now, just about. I have read that a person will spend five years waiting in line or waiting on a phone. Five years of their life. Three years they'll wait or they'll be in meetings. Three years of their life they'll be in meetings. Nineteen years sleeping. Some of you probably a little bit more than that. Six years eating. I think we all need to agree that we probably need to do a little bit more of that. Six years eating. Seven years in the bathroom. Two years calling people who are not home. <laughs> And five months praying. In fact, if you never missed a Sunday morning worship service in your entire life of 75 years, you would only be spending five and a half months in church. Five and a half months in church. Now that's not, obviously that's, there's one Sunday in the week. Five and a half months in church. But think about this, all them years that we spend, now wonder we have a troubled heart. You would think, oh, it was five years of my life in church or five years uh, this or that. And just think about this for a second. Uh, only that short amount of time in our life do we spend praying and meeting with God. Thus, we have troubled hearts this morning. Jesus said, you don't need a map, Philip. Hey, Thomas, you don't need a map. Hey, Simon Peter, you, you don't need, you don't need, I am the way. I want to assure you of some things. I want to assure you that, hey, let not your heart be troubled. Church, I, the reason that I've spent three weeks on this particular text, just 16 verses and three messages after today, is because we deal mainly in our church with troubled hearts. People that just, they want answers. Everybody wants, Pastor, why, why is this happening? I don't know. I don't know why last 
this past week, a 19-year-old boy who was working at a college down in Florida was doing some landscaping for the school. Drunk driver just goes off the curb and hits him and kills him, and his mom and dad are missionaries in Honduras, I believe it is. 19-year-old just out there, I'm sure, planning his life. 19-year-old just thinking, hey, what's the next meal going to be? Or what's class tomorrow? Or what's my projects do? Or he's, he's certainly not thinking about eternity, but little did he know. Mom and dad were probably, listen, mom and dad were probably thinking uh, to themselves, hey, I can't wait till he comes home this summer. I can't wait till this semester's over and he can come back home. Hey, that day never came. And I'm sure today, they had the funeral yesterday, I'm sure today somewhere where that mom and dad is at, there's some troubled hearts. And I'm sure sitting in a room this size, there's some people in here that have a troubled heart. The, 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 the crowd that I preached at this morning in 830, I, I know some situations in there that they're going through physically. They're going through even uh, maybe spiritually. And, I, and they're troubled about it. You can see it sometimes. People are, are troubled and they want answers. And Jesus said, I'll give you some answers. And he does in a very gently fashion, a very humble way. Jesus says in verse 9, verse 10, Have I been so long time with you, Philip? And yet hast thou not known me? Philip, we walk together. We talk together. You've seen me raise the dead. You've seen me do miracles. And you don't, you don't get it? Verse 11, Believe me that I am the Father and the Father in me. Or else believe me for the very work's sake. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, or unto you, he that believeth on me, the works that I do, shall he do also, notice this, the greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. Greater works. I just want to preach to you just for a few minutes out of these verses. That, and again, ask the Lord, Lord, if I have a troubled heart this morning, would you give me some answers? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to pray. Lord, my prayer today is that we become more passionate about our relationship with you. And Lord, in this day of chaos, in this day of um, turmoil, in this day of so many questions, may you be the answer. May you bring a calmness to our life. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I, I've got an unusual message this morning in the way that I, I typically have a, a, a way that I do my messages, a kind of a skeleton. I don't want to get into the way I do messages, but this week I really struggled. And the reason that I struggled this week is because my message just would not line up with what I typically do. Now, I'd already planned this uh, several, I guess, several months ago. Hey, let not your heart be troubled. Man, I got to this text. It's my favorite portion of Scripture just about. I love it. And so I could not wait to preach. But then when I got to this part here, I was kind of hung up. And I'm like, Lord, I don't know, I don't know uh, how to address this. But the only way that I could address it is to ask questions and then answer them according to the Bible. 
Here's the first question I want to ask is this. What tangible things did Christ remind Philip of that could reassure his heart? What tangible things did Christ remind Philip of that could reassure his heart? Now, Philip needed reassuring. We just read that in the text. In, in, in verse number 8, he asked the question, Lord, we, 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 you know, we want to know the Father. And, and Jesus, notice in verse number 10, Jesus gives him a verse of reassurance. There's two words that I want you to circle in your Bible. Two words, all right? Get a pen out or, or just maybe circle it. If you don't have a pen available, then just remember these two words in verse number 10. Look with me. Verse 10, the Bible says, Believest thou not that I am in the Father and the Father in me? Now notice what he says. The words... There's the first word. The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me. He doeth, here's the second word, the works. So the first word that I want you to remember is the word words. And the second word is the word works. What was Jesus actually saying? These are the hooks that you can hang your hat on and you can rest on that I am giving you my words and I am giving you my works. How do you know that I am the Father? How do you know that I am Jesus? How do you know that I am the Son of God? Let me tell you, His words and His works. And you're sitting here today and though you've never seen Jesus and I've never seen Jesus and I've never uh, seen his nail uh, prints in his hands and in his feet, I've never seen him, but I can go by his words and I can go by his works. Just like the disciples, though they saw the living Savior, hey, I've never seen him, but I've seen him work and I believe his words. And if you have a troubled heart this morning, I want you to highlight those two words in your Bible and go by the works of Jesus and go by the words of Jesus. And they will bring assurance to your heart. Question number one was, what tangible things was Christ uh, reminding Philip of that he could be reassured of? Number two, what, question number two, will we as Christ's disciples be able to do greater miracles than he did? Now notice verse 12. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also. Well, that's good. So the works that Jesus did, Jesus is saying, these are the words of Jesus, the works that I did you'll be able to do, but notice what else he says. And greater works than these shall he do because I go unto my Father. So then he uses greater works. Now hold on just a second. Is Jesus actually saying, will we as Christ's disciples do greater works than Jesus? Would we be able to raise somebody from the dead? Would we be able to maybe heal someone that has some type of uh, disease? Would we be able to walk on water? Or would we be able to uh, take a, a little loaf and, and some fishes and to multiply the thousands of people? Uh, listen, would, would we be able to do that? No. Is, is, listen, let me just say this, and this is a whole different message, but I do not believe that he has made any of us what we call miracle workers. If I was a miracle worker today, I would go straight to Hillcrest Hospital, I'd walk down the hallway, I'd go into every room, and I'd be touching people, and they'd be leaving the hospital. And then I'd run across Lake Hartwell, 
on top of it, and then uh, make the news, I'm sure. And then I, I would uh, uh, feed everybody with just a, a few loaves and, and some fishes. I mean, listen, that's not what I believe Jesus was talking about when we'll do greater works than even he did. I believe there's two things that we need to realize in that word greater found in verse number 12. The greater of the miracles is this, our works would be greater in kind and greater in breadth. You mean this, I'm talking about the kind of miracles. Let me illustrate for just a minute. Jesus healed a man with leprosy and Jesus would touch that man and his skin would come as a little baby. It'd be soft and brand new. But over time... As older as that man got, his skin would become wrinkly again, and eventually that man would die. Though he was healed of leprosy, this man's skin got aged again, and he would die. But like Philip Yancey, the missionary to the, the lepers, when he would go over with the gospel and preach the gospel of those lepers, though their skin never got healed, their soul and their spirit, uh, they were saved. And one day when they got to heaven, they were eternally healed. Do you understand it's the kind that Jesus said, your works will be greater. You'll go all over and preach the gospel and you'll see people saved and you'll see people baptized and you'll see people's lives change. Why? The power of the word. Now, I'm not taking any light in the fact of what Jesus did. Jesus was the rock and Jesus, as, as you would take a rock and throw it into a pond and it ripples all across the pond, that's exactly what the life of Jesus did. And by the way, we're still feeling the effects of it today. It is still... Uh, the, 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 uh, the ultimate thing. Everybody knows about the birth and the, and the life of Jesus Christ and what he did. And that is the message we're preaching today. But in the life of, or in the works rather, of what Jesus did, it's the greater works in kind, but secondly, it's the greater works in breath. And what I mean by that is Jesus... His earthly ministry for three and a half years only was 100 miles long and 40 miles wide. Jesus did a whole bunch in a three and a half year span, but geographically, just in that region. What's Jesus saying? Your works will be greater. Well, right now there's over a million Christians in China. The Bible has never been more translated in other languages than it is today. We never have more access to preaching and the gospel and Bible teaching than we do today through the internet, through the radio, through uh, websites and social media. And there's access all over. What was Jesus saying? It will be greater in kind, but it will also be greater in breath. You'll reach people with the power of the gospel. Jesus' life only lasted 33 and a half years. His earthly ministry only three and a half years. Listen. Some of us are already much older than that, and we've already touched places and been places. Like, for instance, right now, a member of our church, a missionary, he and uh, uh, Stephanie Chapman, uh, Eric and Stephanie Chapman, are preaching the gospel in Moldova. Right now, right outside of Ukraine, they're preaching to, uh, to Ukrainian refugees as a, as a branch from our church and a, and a, and a branch of, of, of the arm and extension of Jesus Christ reaching those people there. Hey, that is a major breath. 
Hey, this past week, our missionaries to the Bahamas, Lori and uh, Dirk Eirich, uh, were down there. And then we had some members that went and joined them this week. And they preached the gospel to kids and, and got this camp ready. And they're going to hold some summer camps this summer. And there was some of our people down there helping them this week down in the Bahamas. You say, what were you doing? We were extension of what Jesus is teaching right here. Touching lives. Anytime you hand a gospel track out, anytime you witness, what are you doing? You're the mouthpiece for Jesus. And you are touching lives. And that introduces us to a sweeping promise and a, and a really, a, a, it's regarding, the rest of my questions is regarding prayer. That's exactly what Jesus does right here. Look at it. Verse number 13, he goes from these greater works to the greatest work. Look at verse 13. And whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And if ye shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. Here leads me to my third question. Will Jesus give us anything if we in faith believe? Will Jesus give us anything if we ask in faith, believing? Well, going back to what he just said in verse number 13. And then in verse number 14, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Now, now hold your thumb right there and then turn with me just a couple chapters to chapter 16. I want you to pick up in verse number 23. Chapter 16 and verse number 23. John chapter 16 and verse 23. Notice what he says. And in that day ye shall ask me nothing. Verily, verily, I say unto you, whatsoever ye shall ask the Father in my name, he will give it you. Hitherto, which means until now or before, uh, have ye asked nothing in my name, ask and ye shall receive, and your joy may be full. Now Jesus again, please stay with me. These things have I spoken unto you in Proverbs, but the time cometh when I shall no more speak unto you in Proverbs, but I shall show you plainly of the Father. And that day ye shall ask in my name, and I, will, and I say not unto you that I will pray the Father for you, for the Father himself loveth you because you have loved me and have believed that I came out from God. Back to the question. Will Jesus give us anything we ask for? If we're believing by faith, I believe there's two restrictions according to going back to chapter 14 and I believe verse number 13. There's two restrictions that we, or two qualifications that, that we see in order to get our prayers answered. The first one is this. You have to pray in Jesus' name. Now think about this, church. He said, if you ask anything in my name. So you ask in the name of Jesus. Now we'll talk just a moment about what that means, just, just in a little bit. For now, Jesus is saying something far deeper than just simply saying in Jesus' name, amen. He's saying, you pray the prayer and then sign my name at the bottom. Let me ask you this question. Would Jesus pray the prayer that you're praying? The prayers that you're praying, if you're praying, would Jesus pray that prayer? Now here's the second qualification. 
we must pursue God's glory. Because he says in verse 13, And whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be what? Glorified. So we pray in Jesus' name, but the outcome is that the Father may receive the glory. So much of our prayers, we treat God like a genie. We should get the little lamp out and we rub the lamp, right? Give me this. Now, I want this, but Lord, now it has to be this. And Lord, um, you know, I want it to be this color and I want it to be this. And I've heard the stories, how people have prayed for a specific... I'm not, I'm not... Listen, I think we ought to be specific in our prayers. But hold on a second. God is not a genie in a bottle. Where have we come up that God may... We're missing that part. If we ask anything, oh, the easy part, Jesus' name. Now, Lord, I'm claiming this, Jesus' name. But will God receive the glory? Not for your glory. Not for my glory. But for His. Here's the fourth thing. How do we know if we're praying in Jesus' name? Look at verse 13. I think it simply sums it up. And whatsoever you shall ask in my name, that will I do that the Father may be glorified in the Son, and if you ask anything in my name, that, or in my name, I will do it. Now let me just say this about prayer. Unbelievers are not qualified to pray. You say, Pastor, that sounds very uh, mean. No, no, no. An unbeliever, someone that does not know the Father, someone that has not even met the Son and, and through salvation, how in the world could they pray? To whom are they praying? The only prayer that God would hear from someone who is, who is not His is the prayer of salvation. Most people can't go in and pray and expect God to hear their prayer unless they're calling on God for salvation. You say, Pastor, that sounds awful mean. Well, let me just broaden it just a little bit. The second person that God will not hear their prayer is the one that has unconfessed sin in his heart. Psalm 66. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. So look, the reason we're not praying, I, 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 oh listen, I know this goes over like screen doors on a submarine. I mean, I understand. Uh, we're not going to get a whole lot of shouting today, but can I just say this? The reason we are not praying is because we either regard iniquity in our heart, we have some transgressions, some sinful things in our heart, or we're lost. Or we're lost. Can I just say this, number five, question number five, are we praying with pure motives? Are we praying for or with pure motives? Will you listen to this statement? Just listen. The test of a prayer is whether Jesus would pray your prayer. Praying in Jesus' name is praying a prayer and then asking Jesus to sign his name to it. So would he pray your prayer? James exhorted the church for their mistaken use of prayer. Matter of fact, over in, I believe it's James chapter 4, that famous verse, uh, one, a great chapter. Uh, but he says in James 4, and I believe it's in verse number 3, he says, Ye ask and receive not, because ye ask amiss, that ye may consume it upon your own lust or your own pleasures. You have the wrong motive. You're praying for things and I know these things are not 
what you are supposed to have, but you're praying for your own pleasures and your own motive. Listen, listen. Do you pray with strings attached? Do you pray with an agenda behind? Do you pray and you're just asking God to do something? You're like, now, Lord, you know, I'm going to kind of box you in a little. Listen, we don't pray God in a box. I serve a big God who's outside the box. And and listen, we pray big prayers and we want God to do big things. Hey, listen to me. Pray, but pray with pure motives. Pure at heart. Ask God to do something great. How about this? Question number six. Are we demanding God's timetable to match our own timetable? Are we demanding God's timetable to match our own. So why are we in a hurry? It is because our answered prayer will make life easier. The majority of our praying focuses primarily on the comfort of, uh, the comfort of life. We want to be comfortable. Lord, protect me from anything that would make life difficult. And, and, and by the way, Lord, we want you to hurry. I'm telling you, I've prayed that. I've prayed for things, Lord, please don't let that happen. God, please don't. And you know what? I've even put God, now Lord, I need this done in a week. God is not a waitress. God is not our slave. God is not some person we've, hired out to do our job and we bark orders at him and we command him here and put him there. Hey, God's not that. Listen to me. We're praying to God and we're demanding God's timetable on our own life and to match our life. God, I'll do this, but it has to be in this certain amount of time. And if you don't do it then, then you didn't answer it the way that I... Is that the prayer Jesus would pray? It is interesting that Jesus prayed in the garden and it was so intense that in his praying, veins, his small veins would literally burst and he would sweat great drops of blood and it would ooze out of his pores. Why? He was under the the place of pressure. That's what Gethsemane means. It's the place of pressure. Why? He was about to face the cross and he's praying. Hey, have we done that kind of praying where we're under pressure? In other words, prayer is not always a substitute for pain. Sometimes it prepares us for pain. How about question number seven? Are we more concerned with our request to God than our relationship with God? Here's what George MacDonald said. What if God knows prayer to be the thing we need first and most? What if the main object in God's idea of prayer is supplying of our great God and as endless need of Him? Hunger may drive the runaway child home and he or me or she may not be fed all at once, but he needs his parents more than his dinner. Communion with God is the one need of the soul beyond every other need. Listen, more than what you're praying for, you need him. 
You're praying for a specific thing, and there's nothing wrong with that. Matter of fact, we should pray for specific things. But listen, can I remind you that thing that you're praying for is not greater than Him? Question number eight. Are we requesting that God respond in the way we are expecting? In other words, do you believe you already know what is best for your life and you just want God to approve it? Have you ever prayed that way? Lord, now, I believe I know what's best and God, I'm just trying to seek your will about really? No, all you're saying is, Lord, I know what's best and I just need you to, because good Christians pray. We don't know what's best. Truth is, we, we don't. I was preaching one time in a church, in, in a, a, just a, a small church, and, and uh, they were having revival, and there was no nurseries, if you will. I'm at the old mountain churches. They didn't believe in nurseries. I thank God we do. Amen. And, uh, but, but they didn't, and there was a little boy. He was, about, uh, he was probably too old to be in the nursery. He looked about four or five years old. Maybe, maybe uh, he might have been younger than that. But boy, he was cutting up in church. Mom and dad were trying to deal with them and trying to make it a little bit more, you know. They were sitting and there was just one big middle aisle, two, two sections here. And I could see the mom look at the dad and the dad was trying to hush him up. Finally, the dad just, I kept preaching, but the dad, it wasn't really bothering me, but he, he was making a ruckus. The dad snatched up this boy and he's hauling him out on purpose. And I'm sure he wasn't out there to play, you know. Hauling him out on purpose. And right before he got to the door, the, the boy hollered out, pray for me, pray for me. Pray for me. That boy sounded real spiritual, didn't he? But I can assure you he was not prayed uh, as far as he was not spiritual at that moment. He expected his prayers to be answered only one way. How about us? How about us? Are we like that little boy? We, we have to have that one answer. How about this? Question number nine. I'm almost through. Are we more interested and what God will give us than what God will do in us. Phillips Brooks, I love reading Phillips Brooks. He was a preacher about a hundred and some years ago, but he wrote some wonderful things on prayer. I, I can't read too much of it because it's too convicting. But here's what he said. Don't pray for easy lives. Pray to be stronger people. Don't pray for tasks equal to your power. Pray for power equal to your task. Then the doing of your work shall be no miracle, but you shall become a miracle. Is that not good? Jesus never taught his disciples to preach, but he taught his disciples to pray. Preaching will help you, but preaching alone is not the answer. Matter of fact, I've heard some preaching that has done more harm than good. I've heard some preachers get up and you thought it was just about them. But the disciples, when they looked to the Savior, Lord, teach us to pray. Not teach us to preach. There's Bible colleges I hear that will spend a whole semester teaching young men how to preach. And there's nothing wrong with teaching a man how to preach, how to deliver a message, how to keep the attention of the audience, how to preach and, and, and have, some, uh, have some skill about it, if you will. But listen, very few are teaching our young men and our young ladies to pray. 
Say this prayer with me out loud. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Hold on a second. We say that prayer and we just, we recite it. It's beautiful. But it's not my will be done. Thy will be done. On earth. Oh, we missed that part. As it is in heaven. On earth. Church, listen. It's not my will lining up with his will or, or rather trying to line his will up. There he is. He's approving of the message already. He liked it. Listen. We want to make sure that we try to get his will over to ours and kind of line up on, on ours and we're trying to make sure. But listen, it's us lining up with his will on earth. It's about the will of God. It's about us seeking. So, so praying in Jesus' name is like pulling my will over to the, the sovereign will of God. Just think about this for a second. I'm almost through, but just think about this. If, if we were in a rowboat and we didn't have oars, we're going down this river, but we did have a rope and we had a big, large anchor. And we took that anchor and we threw it to the shore and it stuck over there in the shore and we started pulling the rope and we got our boat over to the shore. I did not pull the shore to my boat. I pulled the boat to the shore. The boat is our will. The shore is is the sovereign will of God and we are to hook up and line up and anchor in His will. Question number 10. Are we really expecting God to listen? Are we really expecting Christ to be interceding? And are we really expecting an answer to be forthcoming? Do we really believe God? I think one of the greatest examples of getting prayer answered is the prayer of a child. You ever heard children pray? I mean, when they get down on their knees, it's literally they're starting to talk to God just like he's in the room. Why is it that we reach a state in our adulthood where we just don't believe God hears anymore? It's like that little boy that was praying for a brother. He's about five years old. He was praying for a brother. He wanted a brother. And, and, uh, his dad came in the room, heard him praying for a brother, and the little boy didn't know it, but his, his mama was two months pregnant already. And so the dad came in and said, Son, now listen, if you'll keep praying for about seven months, God's going gonna to answer this prayer. He was just trying to build his faith a little bit, and of course there was a baby coming, and so the boy kept praying some, that seven months, and finally at seven months, mama went to the hospital, grandma came over, was watching the little boy, and finally when grandma left, mama came home, and and daddy, and they were in the living room, and the boy, it was kind of a surprise, and they brought the little boy in the living room, and mama was sitting in the recliner, and she took the blanket back, and she unveiled not just one brother, but two. <laughs> Twins. And the dad just looked over at the boy and kind of put his hand on his shoulder and said, Son, aren't you glad that you prayed and God answered your prayer? And the boy thought for a second, he said, Aren't you glad that I stopped praying? <laughs> That boy really believed. Do we really believe? Could you imagine what God would do with this church if we started believing that God 
is not only able, but that he will. Here's my last question to you this morning. Are we willing to become the answer to our own prayer? Are we willing to become the answer to our own prayer? So you might be praying this morning, Lord, provide for that needy family. And the Lord may be thinking, won't you just go buy groceries for them and do it. Put feet on them prayers. You may be praying this morning, Lord, encourage the saints today. And the Lord maybe is wanting you to write a little note of encouragement or maybe a text or maybe a phone call. Lord, help them foreign missionaries over there. They need help. Maybe the Lord wants you to go and help them. Can I just say this this morning? The greatest thrill in praying is not receiving an answer, but possibly becoming an answer. I want you to think about this for a second before we close. Jacob, you can come. Think about this for a second. Real quick, stay with me. The God that created all of this in six days, the God of the universe, has invited us. And that's exactly what he's saying in John 14. Boys, your heart's troubled. But let me just say this. If you see me, you're seeing the Father. And can I go a step further? Your works will be even greater in in length and breadth than mine. And you have access to the Father through Jesus, through me. And if you ask anything, church, I don't know if you got a troubled heart. You say, Pastor, I've got something I need God to do. Sometimes that can be troubling. But if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. That the Father may be glorified. Why are we not praying? Why are we not praying? I've got some ideas this year of making much of prayer in our church. I mean making much of prayer. We we pray, but I, I believe that the heart of God, one of the greatest works that we can do is pray. Because our country needs prayer. Our country needs prayer. And folks, listen. What happens in a, in a November from now or a couple of Novembers from now, it, it, we've, we have just found out that that's not the answer. Oh, it may help. It may put a temporary Band-Aid on something for just a little bit. It may slow the progression to the communism down. I don't know. That's why you don't hear much from me preaching political messages because that is not the message of hope. The message of hope is that we would fall on our knees and and say, God, we, we need you more than anything. Church, can I just say this? We need God more than we need a building. We need a building. But we need God more. Because what's these churches doing all over the world that don't even have a building, but they've got God? We, we can have 50 services a day if we need to if that's what it takes for us to have God. And until we get on our faces and say, God, I need you. Hey, church, can I just say this? If there's a need in your life, take it to Him. Take it to Him. Ask yourself these questions. The greatest thrill in praying is not receiving an answer, 
but becoming an answer. Maybe God needs some of you to step up. Just step up.